Transmission incoming. Welcome to the Potable Picture Show. Let's do it. Episode 0068, Oh Captain Morgan, My Captain Morgan. You've entered the Potable Picture Show, your podcast dedicated to motion pictures and drinking liquors. I'm your host, Kevin McRae. I'm here to tell you this podcast may contain language of a mature nature, four-letter words, and such that you may not read in a Shel Silverstein poem. We have a lot to cover today. We've headed out to Planet Matt yet again, and we are going to have another double feature as we start to round up and round out our back-to-school month. We will be covering Dead Poet Society and School of Rock and feature presentation. We will have a random drinking event in Cocktail Corner, and we will always have Heathen on her news, because that is what she is doing today, is news. So let's head in to the cantina that is on Planet Matt and get today's show started. We are sitting at a circular table, the same table we were at last time we were on Planet Matt. I will go clockwise and introduce to you who is at this table. Sitting along with me, sitting to my left, fingering her eye. <laughs> she has practiced many different laughs today. She uh, had a really good hillbilly laugh earlier. She hasn't had her nap today, so be ready for one of those famous heathen tantrums. Her name is Heathen. Hello. Hmm, let's adjust your volume a little bit, Heathen. Howdy. That is the sound of your voice. I don't think it will be confused with the next person we'll introduce sitting. Uh, if I am at 6 o'clock, he is at 12 o'clock, or vice versa, if we're Very proud in a of you. 69ing <laughs> kind of thing, or a 60-12ing. He recently had his face, uh, his artificial face, not completed and ripped off, which we'll talk about later. His name is Beer Maker Matt. Hello, welcome to my cantina. Mm-hmm. So this is kind of movie related. Um, if you ever watch some special effects show on TV, like Face Off, and I think there was another one that comes with um, Mass. If you ever watch, there's some documentaries about on Netflix about um, special effects and things like that. We came out to. Uh, well, I'll let, I'll let I'll let Matt explain <laughs> what the what the plan was. So the plan was I was going to do a life cast of my head so that I could eventually, you know, make a mask for Halloween and Comic-Con. So you want to explain a little bit how that is supposed to work? So you start off by using a, a 
well, there's several ways you can do it, but we're going to do a, um, a silicone kind of rubber cast of my head mm-hmm. and your dome. Yep. And then create a mold around <laughs> that so that we could then create a plaster, uh, mold of my head so that I could use that to create the mask. So we got to about the part where we could have suffocated you, but we didn't. <laughs> yeah, we actually didn't get too far. That was the plan, or part of the plan to coming out to Planet Matt was was to do that. And I think Heathen and I underestimated the quickening time of the of the silicon base. It started to clump and solidify a little bit quicker than we anticipated. Yeah. So we got the ears and part of the head, and then it, uh, the liquid started to take on a <laughs> started to take on a cottage cheese consistency, and it just wasn't sticking. And Heather and I, or Heathen and I, were talking about, "Well, just smush it in, smush it in, just make it stick." Yeah, yeah I can, I can feel, I, well, I can hear them too. So I'm like hear them, hearing them going like, "I don't know what to do," <laughs> and they're like smashing it into my head. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because the stuff isn't cheap, so it was kind of. Um, Mm, what would you call it? It was. It was. Well, Heathen was anxious because she thought she was going to kill Matt, <laughs> and I was just a little bit. I just didn't think it was going to um, solidify that quickly. I was just all about putting it on thick and heavy and quick, and um, and I started to get anxious when it wasn't sticking anymore. Yeah, we have, we have a better plan next time. Yeah. yeah. Yep. I'm going to use my cake tools for sure. <laughs> and then she's really going to kill me. Oh, I need to clarify, uh, if you're new to the podcast or a returning member, one of Heathen's favorite words, anytime <laughs> you hear a sound about hitting a baby, uh, that's that's fine to hit this baby. Then you can go along and drink along with us. Um, Am I going to use the Citrus Boy or take it up the ass? Which one? No, that one is called Grandma's Boy, and this one is called Escape or uh, Exit Route. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> it's not the real names. <laughs> It's not exit route? I thought that was called Circus Boy. Yeah, it is. Oh. <laughs> Citrus Boy. I don't know. Anyway, drink along with us at home. This is escape route. Well, we don't we don't talk about what we drink anymore. Why are you giving me warm me? beer? It's not warm. It just came straight out of the refrigerator. What the hell is your problem? Here. I don't <laughs> it's horrible. You're a skank. Now drink that. I don't like beer. Yes, you do. Whatever. Um. So, thank you. Which is this one? Uh, this is Allagash from... Mm. Uh, this is their triple ale. Delicious. Mm, Allagash is a good one. I like anything with the word gash in it. It's a good slur. Get gash out of my in your leg. Get out of my way, gash. So you start calling ladies, you call them gashes. Mm. Gashes clay. They, they don't like the G word. Better than the cunt word. <laughs> the uh, recent blackish was all about the N word. So Heathen and I went to some shorts. Some movie shorts. It's kind of interesting. We've been to the Oscar shorts before. This was the Manhattan Film Shorts, which is an international um, festival where all around the world they have a week where they show these films at once and then I guess people vote. Kind of interesting. He then, of course, was mad at me like usual. And I had instant karma because I spilled coffee on my knee. That's what you nice. get. God don't like ugly. I don't know. Um, one thing I was going to bring up about it, Heathen was mad at me for laughing, but it was between shorts. Something I think is interesting, and this happened at the shorts, this happened when I went and saw the, um, 
Seth Rogen movie, Observe and Report. It um, also happened one other time. So it strikes me as weird. Sometimes people will laugh at inappropriate times during the movie, and it's not because they're being inappropriate. I just think that they don't understand that you're not supposed to laugh. Like, it's more of a naive, naive thing. Um, like, they don't... And, and um, Natural Born Killers kind of made fun of that a little bit with the laugh track. And how you can just kind of throw a laugh track onto anything and people will laugh. Or, or something is set up where people think, if they're simple, might think it's supposed to be funny, but but it's not. They just laugh because they don't understand. Like, it's a, it might be a cartoon where someone gets raped and because it's a cartoon, someone will laugh because they'll be like, cartoons are funny. So there's just one person laughing? No, or? there were three older people behind us that I wanted to... Stab. But it was mostly just one lady that was laughing. The other two people were annoying for other reasons, but the lady just um, laughed at some weird... Well, actually, both of them were laughing. So there was a cartoon where um, these, like, 1984 circus zookeeper uh, big brother cops come into this apartment building where all these animals are living and start clubbing them on the head and taking them away, which does look kind of comical, but you should realize by what's happening in the film that these are bad guys and they're going to take these animals away like into slavery, which is the next scene where you see these animals beaten down in cages. But the people... And they're laughing. The people were laughing. Stolen from their home. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. so funny. Or the the next one was where the, it, the... Obviously, the mother was dead and the daughter found her and she's laughing. I didn't think well, it was funny, the, and I the, wanted to turn around and slap her. The the daughter was like uh, in denial and wouldn't admit that the body was was dead, and mm-hmm. she kept saying like she was or she is. I'm sorry, and like my mom, not the body. And then she eventually realizes or comes to accept, and she says, "Don't touch the dead body." And then she starts crying, and the and the person behind us is like, ha, ha, "Dead body." Yeah. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> But it's like I said, I've experienced it before. I usually get it from younger people, like people, like teenagers up to their early 20s. I don't usually get it from older people because, again, it's more of a naive thing or not even a discomfort thing. Well, the very last and the very last one, the very last short was you you literally watch this older lady carry mirrors up the stairs, but they're wrapped. And then you see the guy looking in the mirrors and she goes... Now, how did she get those mirrors up the stairs? You should have really? turned around and said she's a witch. God, I just... And then she was like, well, we'll see you at the Oscar shorts. And I wanted to say, can you tell me where you're going to sit so I can stay the fuck away you from you? You did say it loud enough that one of them should have probably heard what you said. Oh, because good. kind of a jerk. There is a secret word on the podcast today. It was from last week, but it could also apply to this week. And if we don't get it this week, then it's going to it's gonna start to get pretty random. Is it asshole? No. Um, that applies every week. Is it butt plug? How did butt plug apply Is to these movies? Is it plug that butt? How did that apply to these movies? Was yes, Robin Williams plugging some butt in these movies? <laughs> Everybody's. And it's dead quiet. Give us a poem about a butt plug, Heathen. Just like Keats would have you do. Imagine a butt plug. Close your eyes. Close your eyes, yes. Feel this in your butt? Now tell me about it. (laughs) Butt plug oh so sweaty. You make me feel like my insides are spaghetti. (laughs) Meaty, rare, tomato sauce. Just like in prison, how my salad gets tossed. (laughs) 
Thanks, Eden, for that such a beautiful poem. Let's head into your news. Eden's headlines. Eden's headlines. So everybody from back in the day on Ghostbusters is apparently going to be making a cameo for the new movie. I have, I have things to say about this. So go for it. No, go ahead. Who's the last holdout? Uh, well, go ahead, Ethan. Sigourney Weaver? Yeah, that was the most recent one. They don't have Rick Moranis, I don't believe yet, uh. but they have everyone else. So I already talked about this the first time we talked about the Ghostbusters reboot, and I'm going to say the same thing. It's going to be the same rant. I'm happy that they're making cameos. That's pretty cool. I'm happy with the cast of the Ghostbusters movie. I think it's going to be a good movie. However. However, just like I said the first time, <laughs> why does this have to be a reboot? Why can it not be a continuation of the existing universe? And if they can get all of these actors to come back and make parts in the movie as cameos, just like Chevy Chase did in the Vacation movie. He was only in one scene, but he still Chevy? showed up. Chevy Chase. He played, he reprised his role. Why can't Bill Murray, even if it's just like a scene where they say, hey, these ghosts are attacking Chicago. What did you guys do last time? I think that would be really cool to get do these new... Do you know what they're going to do? No, they're just going to play, I think, just really random cameos like like Bill Murray's going to play a hot dog guy on the street. and like None of them are playing their old characters uh-huh. because it's, it's a totally new movie. And I think it would be really cool that they go almost like sort of, I think, how The Force Awakens is going to be. If, if they have a scene where they have to go out where, where Chicago's being, because I think it's in Chicago, not New York. I think I'm not sure. Or they, go, they, they there's there's ghosts, and they go out, and they have to get like some advice from the old Ghostbusters, and they could be in the movie for five minutes, three minutes. You know, I could maybe understand why they don't want to take all the time to have big parts in the movie, especially Bill Murray. It's really surprising that he's coming back. Um, but it would just be, as I said, if you can get these actors. Why not just have him play the same part? And I and I don't know why that they can't be. Why it has to be a brand new movie? I would be so much more happy with um, with the re- now. And like I said, I think the cast is great. I think the movie's going to be really funny. It just kind of bugs me that it can't it can't be a shared universe with the uh, acknowledging the original movie. I think it's disrespectful to the original movie to to do that. Just having girls play the original parts, kind well, of thing. Especially since the original movies are so iconic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So that's my feeling on it. I, I'm happy that they're making appearances, but to me, it's almost how it's just like making an an homage to the to the original movie, like a wink to the the audience, like, "Hey, here's yeah. Bill Murray in the background. Let's everyone get excited." But you know, just my feeling. What do you think, Ethan? Um, I'm interested in seeing what they have to do with the movie. Talking right into the tip. I am 100% supportive <laughs> of the movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's cool. Maybe they'll do something like what you're saying. I think you're... I know, they're not. Poo-pooing the movie before it has started. No one's poo-pooing it. I'm not poo-pooing it. I'm just saying that, that just that small change would make me so much happier. I think you are Asian appetizering the movie. Poo-poo plattering. <laughs> Just kidding. I'm not poo-pooing the movie. I'm, I'm, I think it's going to be a very funny movie. I think so, too. I just, like I said, that small change would make me a little bit happier. All right, next news. Uh, the movie Showgirls turns 20. Shannon Elizabeth. You know what else just had a birthday? 
Seven. Shannon Elizabeth. Elizabeth Hurley. What's her name? No, Elizabeth. <laughs> Elizabeth, <laughs> Elizabeth Berkeley. Elizabeth Berkeley. <laughs> Seven just had its uh, uh, 20th birthday, too. This was a week Who's ago. Who's Shannon Elizabeth? Shannon Elizabeth was from American Pie. <laughs> okay. She was the foreign exchange student. Okay. Uh, that's right, yeah. That's going to be a lot of drinking for our uh, audience because they like to drink when I make awful mistakes like that. But mm. so yeah, uh, Showgirls just had its birthday. You know, you want to know a secret? I never, I've never seen Showgirls because the only time that it was on that I would have watched it was on like TBS, and I'm not watching Showgirls without nudity. I actually watched it in the theater when it came out, mm-hmm. and uh, the director is the one who takes. 100% blame for her overacting. Like, he's the one that made her well, overact in the Also known the movie. as somewhat of a bad director. And now the movie is kind of a cult mm-hmm. classic. That's one reason I should probably go watch it, because I've, I've heard that. I, I mean, even when it came out, it was notorious for being so bad. And it's... Um, yeah, I think that's why Just I've grown. never seen it. Uh, some critics now and filmmakers have praised it as a full-on satire of Hollywood. Yeah, and so... And the um, entertainment industry as a whole. So... Uh, which I can see. Which I can totally see if you actually watch it. Yeah, I'd have to see mm-hmm. it first. So yeah. I shouldn't say so I challenge you for making completely bad movies, but he did direct Starship Troopers, which is a movie that was so bad that I laughed at it in the theater. <laughs> and it was one it was a movie when I, I one of the early movies I bought when DVDs were still somewhat uh, expensive because I loved the movie so much. Like I enjoyed it so much in the theater. Um Well her career never really recovered from the movie, but I think she did a fantastic job. I mean, going from um, you Saved know, the high, the yeah, Saved by the Bell to this, I think she she also definitely was, broke out of her shell. Uh, she stands on some other movies. Anyway, he also directed um, the first RoboCop, which was kind of over the <clears throat> yeah. top, but in a good way. Total Recall, which which I really liked. Basic Instinct. Um, Hollow Man with Kevin Bacon, but yeah, kind of hit and miss. Like, but you know, pretty much all of those movies are a little bit over the top. So, and I think I enjoyed most of those movies mm-hmm. at some some level. And then you should watch. Oh yeah, uh, that's where I was thinking. Um, um, Any given Sunday is is <laughs> is uh, Elizabeth Berkeley was was in there as as one of the prostitutes. Yeah. She's been typecast. Yeah, I was gonna say. <laughs> yeah, and then like I said, and then Seven had its had its anniversary too, and I think we've already talked about that on the movies before. About um, we, we, I forgot what we were talking about about how uh, almost had a different ending. That's how we talked about it on the podcast before. Is the script that got sent out was an original draft, and the studio didn't want to make it. <clears throat> And when David Fincher received the script, he's like, "Oh, I want to do this movie." And then, and the studio said, "Oh, no, no, that's 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 not the one we're doing." He's like, "No, I'm not doing this movie unless it has that original ending." <laughs> and then I was reading, going along with the uh, anniversary of Seven, there's like seven alternate endings that they were working through. Huh. <clears throat> okay, next news. Rocky Horror Picture yeah, Show. Yeah, find to hit this baby. Is turning forty. That's pretty old. Tim Curry's. Oh, <clears throat> they were going to do a Rocky Horror Picture Show TV show. There, where are they along with that? Are they still doing that? That's a good question. I commented on this on Facebook when it got announced that 
or maybe they're doing a mini series, like a made-for-TV Rocky Horror Picture Show. I and, can't imagine that's <clears throat> going to go very well. No, and I was against it. And the reason I said I was against it, even though I'm not a huge Rocky Horror Picture fan, what is good about it, kind of talking about like Showgirls and um, Starship Troopers, is the movie... It's so bad, but it wasn't supposed to be bad. It was supposed to be a serious movie. So if someone comes out, sort of like, you know, like the first Sharknado, when they started doing, like, Sharknado 3, it's not as good because they're trying to purposely make it bad. So it's weird. I like bad movies. I don't like it when people purposely go out to make a bad movie. It's it's really weird right. to me. Well, uh, Pinky Polanski is not going to be uh, performing it live in Reno this year. Which is, I guess, okay with me because I've never, you know, we went and saw it live that one year. I've never seen the live band. And I, I really was, I guess, kind of expecting a big thing. Yeah. And I was, uh, I was happy that my friend was involved with it. Um, but I was really let down because I thought it was the whole production. And it wasn't. It was just the band and parts of it's a different take. The production. I'm glad we saw it. I, 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 the only problem I had with it is I wish that people had, that hadn't seen it before saw more of the traditional exactly. thing that had been going on since forever. Like when when Heather and I went and watched um, Diary of a Teenage Girl, they don't even really show Rocky Horror, but they are doing that that version where they're they're acting in front of the movie screen while the movie's going. So this is and that movie took place in the 70s. It's it's a. <clears throat> tradition and it's something that i think everybody should be a part of at least once in their lives it's something that i used to do a lot even as a teenager up through my adulthood um the midnight at the rocky horror picture yeah. show yeah i did the midnight showings and i loved it mm -hmm. as a teenager because mm -hmm. you could see like a little bit of skin as a 17 year old boy is like the girls are doing the costume and you were allowed and, out past midnight yeah. and you <laughs> know kind just of, weird kind of things yeah um, and your parents were okay with it. That was also the story funny. behind Rocky Horror Picture is kind of interesting. As I said, it was intended to be a serious movie. I don't, I don't remember all of it. The guy had a lot of money, and he wanted to take all of these genres. He wanted to make a musical. He wanted to make a rock musical. He wanted to make take a horror movie and a comedy and all these things and put them together. But he really wanted it to be serious. He wanted it to be like a a musical, like a rock musical you see on Broadway, like Hair. Or something like that, like a, or I'm trying to think some of those other sort of rock musicals, and it just came out freaking ridiculous, and then <laughs> ended up getting a cult following. Um, I, I don't really know why people are so in, into the movie. Heather, uh, Heathen could probably tell you. I mean, I had fun going, but I, I have, you know, people, people hold that up to like a almost religious like stature, like Rocky Horror, like when they were doing the, you know, made for TV thing, people were like, you can't do that, you can't touch Rocky Horror Picture Show. I don't think you can do that either you just i think you should just leave it alone because well, it's been there for well, I think it's a, bad a couple idea, generations now for it's sure. like it's like uh changing jesus's name at this point i think to jesus but. it's like who's riding who when you enter the race mm -hmm. hmm. well they would kill the the following if they did a remake mm -hmm. like you wouldn't see the any of the shows anymore well, it's like changing the My Little Ponies to me. Asian. They killed everything. They didn't kill everything. They, they got killed even my more, soul. They even got more popular after that. Well, to me, it killed me. <laughs> All right, we're going to... Different following. <laughs> we're going to do something different. Anything about us on the news, Heathen? That's my news. All right. Don't wear it out.
We're going to do something different in Cocktail Corner. Let's head into Cocktail Corner, and then we'll do something different. Cock. <laughs> I see American I drinkings. Fabulous cocktails I make. America's getting stinking on something I stir or shake. So here on Planet Matt, we're going to do something special and fun. We've got five beverages. It's like our kind of our, our simple version of Drinko. If you've watched Drinko on um, Fallon or just YouTube, Drinko's actually been around for a while. A lot of stuff Fallon uses is little YouTube and party things. None of um, this sounds fun at all. So we have five things. We have a random number generator. The first number we're going to get is how many ingredients are going into the uh, cocktail. And then we'll do the generator again to see what those ingredients are. So who wants to go? And, and we're not going to do a whole drink. We'll do like pour sips of each. And we'll each do like a shot version. So who would like to go first? Me, so I can get it over with. <laughs> All right. So first hit the generate button to see how many ingredients you're going to put. The generate button's up there at the top. Your number is two. You're going to use two ingredients. Nice. And uh, Beer Maker Matt has the list of the ingredients. So what's your first ingredient? I have to push the generate button again? Mm -hmm. To get your first ingredient. What this fast... Okay. Just hit generate, please. What's the number? Well, I don't know. What did it do? Is it two again? Okay. Did it? If, if you hit it, it is two again, if that's what you hit. So what's the number two? Rum. All right, so... Pour a little rum in there for heathen. And then we'll go ahead and make sure you hit it. Did it go? Oh, no. And number three. So what's heathen mixing with the rum? I don't want peach. <laughs> no, you don't have to do all of it. We'll, we'll each do it separately. Okay. So, yeah, that's mine. <clears throat> so put a little bit. Is it is peach number five? Princess that sounds like gross. And that will be your drink, heathen. Oh, I, th I, th I think we should do what he's doing. We should no, all... No, we're all going to make our own drink and then yeah. maybe... Oh, okay. Do you want to wait and drink them at the end together? Or do you want Do you want to... Let's get your reaction. I don't know. See, I can't, get, I can't, I can't switch between my things fast enough. <laughs> all right. You want, you want to go next, Matt? Sure. All right. So, mm -hmm. I, trust, I trust you. Hit the generate button. So, how many beverages how many ingredients oh, five ingredients four four ingredients okay well <laughs> yes. you don't have to pour as much like i said you could pour like capsules what yeah this is how we're doing it you're not no. going to change it now and you got to double shut your mouth all right so i'm doing jack daniels okay jack daniels okay a double of jack daniels <laughs> well he's not going anywhere so that's fine Coffee liqueur. <laughs> that's actually good because coffee liqueur or clue is made with rum. Oh no, that's Jack Daniels. Never mind. Okay, so is it three Jack Daniels? Yeah, three Jack Daniels and some coffee liqueur. Yeah. All right. I think we would have been better with the dice. This is fine. I've I'm got. Gonna, I'm gonna watch you. Got, it better be Jack Daniels up to here, and a little bit of coffee. I've got four as well, but I'll wait till till Matt pours in his. His four count of or three count of Jack Daniels. I'm gonna record this to make sure it's true. See, I'm trying to get more video because we only have one video on I, the uh, Facebook page. Do you want me to record? I, I will them? do three of what I did for you for. Oh um, god, that's gonna be like all the way to the top. Well, I only. That's okay. 
That's good. That's like four times what I poured her for the rum. Okay. And then a li- and then a little bit of a little bit of coffee. Just a smidge. <laughs> Not so bad. And again, unlike Drinko, none of the ingredients out here are that bad. So Drinko will have like um, uh, uh, gravy. They had gravy as an ingredient. That was pretty wow. gross. He didn't he have to drink like uh, gra- gravy and peach schnapps. Gra- I thought it was like gravy and bubble tea. Okay, so I have four ingredients. If you want to pour this for me, I've got a number three peach nectar. Okay, peach nectar. I have a number three again. See, mine's easy. Jeez. I have a number one. I think there's one. something wrong with your generator. So Jack Daniels. And then my last number is number four. I hope it's Some gravy. Mango. Ooh, I've, I've got a little bit of three. everything. Yeah, I'm a fruity guy. I'm going to shotgun mine because I only have a little bit of Jack Daniels in mine. Anything to... Oops. See, Matt's already drank too much. <laughs> Ethan, anything you want to drink to? Hope you're not videoing because you don't have your camera the right way. You have it vertical. Oops. Well, I am, so oh well. Anything you would like to drink to? Or Matt? Beer maker Matt? My Subway iced tea. No, that's stupid. <laughs> hey, want to tell everyone about your new your new uh, diet? <gasps> Only eat dick. No. Heathen's trying to go vegan. Heathen's a vegan. Oh, wow. Heathen's a vegan, so let's drink to that. <laughs> you don't have the bottoms up, Matt, but I will. I was almost going to suggest not bottoming up, but he went ahead and did it anyway. That was a a good pull of... uh, Just for the meantime, it's only been a week, so we'll see. (laughs) Oh, the vegan part? Yeah. Yeah, I should go back to vegan again. How long were you vegan for, Matt? You didn't eat cheese Uh, or dairy? Yeah, so I went completely vegan for like six months Mm -hmm. and then went back to being vegetarian and then pescatarian and then... So yeah, I think carb. I think honestly I can give up um, all uh, cow, chicken, and pork, everything. Mm-hmm. I'm not so sure I can give up fish. The, the so I think I can be a pescatarian. Well, I mean pescatarians can still eat like cheese and stuff like that, but I think I just might make up my uh, own yeah the dietary. The plan. hardest part for me. Because I was vegetarian for about eight or nine months. But if I was going to go like vegan, like heathen, the, the hardest part for me would be 100% getting rid of the dairy. Because I don't actually eat a lot of dairy, but I eat pizza and I have ice cream once in a while. I've been okay that with would that. Be, that would I be have hard had for me. no problem. I really thought my difficult problem would be um, Black people. butter and cottage cheese. I haven't had any problems. Yeah, cheese was the big one for me. Mm-mm. Not even. And do you know... Um, Fish is my problem. <laughs> what's, what's what's interesting, and... Um, well, you probably didn't have this as much heathen when you traveled because the, the diet wasn't as different. But when I went to China, and after I was there a few months because the food was so different, you start to have cravings. Like, I would dream about food at night. And the big one for me was... Pe- they do have pizza in China, but the, the, the small town I was in, I was in there for about three or four months... Um, that was like the biggest food that I craved more than anything was pizza. Mm, I don't I don't really remember. I think it's probably because I was younger and we traveled so much while I was in Europe. Mm-hmm. Um, and also it was my grandparents that were there. <clears throat> and I but I ate 
so many different foods and I think I can pretty much just uh, whatever's there I'll eat Mm-hmm. doesn't matter as long as it's a dick <laughs> all right let's head into feature presentation and get this thing going in high gear So here in feature presentation, we are going to cover Dead Poet Society and School of Rock, two films that go together about teachers that inspire their students through um, specific subject matter, one being music and one being poetry. Um, So interesting things to tackle here. We're going to start with Dead Poet Society and then move into School of Rock and then perhaps at the end talk about the two together. I'm going to begin with Dead Poet Society. I'm going to go through some of my notes. Jump in at any time if there's anything that stands out to you or if you just want to talk about anything related to the topic. And then we'll just do that kind of thing. We do have a secret word, same secret word from last week. It's somewhat related to this week. Um, somewhat related to Dead Poet Society. Is it discipline? No. Hmm? Rebellion. No. Um, <laughs> Is it cigarette? So what attracted Robin Williams to the role of John Keating more than anything else was that John Keating was the type of teacher that Robin Williams wished that he had had in um, his school days, which I think everyone would want a teacher like that. It's uh, interesting. There was a lot of other contenders for the role of John Keating besides Robin Williams. There was um, Liam Neeson had originally been cast in this role when it had a different director. Um, but when the director changed hands, Liam Neeson lost the role. And this was back probably before Liam Neeson really had done anything. Liam Neeson started out as sort of a romantic lead actor before he became everyone's favorite hard ass. Um, the part of John Keating was also once intended for Dustin Hoffman. And Dustin Hoffman was also going to direct the film. Hmm. Mel Gibson was also going to play the part of John Keating. Um, but but Gibson demanded too much money and was turned down. So this was probably a little bit after the Lethal Weapon movies a couple of years. I think the first Lethal Weapon was around 86. Bill Murray was also, also considered in this role, and I could have seen him. Um, I couldn't. I could have seen, actually, Liam Neeson in this role, too, especially back when he was more of that sensitive, sensitive man. Um, <clears throat> well, I'm assuming they had to do some major script... Um, rewriting after they cast Robin Williams. I think so and a lot of it was when I was reading about the background of this film a lot of the script was fictionalized or based on the writer or director's experience growing up with a different teacher right. but like sort of the same thing they went to a boys school and things like that. The director Peter Weir or Weir I think it's Weir Um, He chose to shoot the film in chronological order, which is pretty rare that you do that because it takes a long time and it's not convenient. But he shot it in chronological order in order to better capture the development of the relationship between the boys and their growing respect for Mr. Keating. 
I think everyone would prefer to shoot in chronological order as far as actors go, but it, it just never happens. You shoot it based on location. If you have six scenes at the food court, you can do all those scenes in one day. You're not going to come back and, and, and fuck around with that. To help the young leads bond together, Peter Ware had them all room together. There's a part in the movie where the boys uh, show their professor, Professor Keating, pl- played by Robin Williams. They show him um, his old senior yearbook picture. They find an old yearbook in the library. In reality, that is Robin Williams' high school senior picture when he was a student at Redwood High School in Larkspar, California. The boy in the movie who says, uh, so there's a part where Keating asks all the, st- all the students have to do an oral presentation and... Um, Ethan Hawke's going to have a hard time with that. There's one rascal of a boy that he gets up in his oral presentation. He just says, the cat sat on a mat. He was actually a student at the time at the school they were shooting at, and he earned more money than his teachers that year by saying that one line. (laughs) What a little fuck. Rascal of a boy. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I already talked about those things. The scene where Todd, that was, uh, I believe that was Ethan Hawke, a very young Ethan Hawke. This was Ethan Hawke's first role, I believe. Um, the scene where Todd cries outside in the snow was done in one take. It was originally an interior, or written as an interior scene, but when it started to snow, Peter Ware thought the scene might have more impact if it were done outside. The snow had already begun to uh, let up, so it had to be done in one take, the scene. And fortunately, Ethan Hawke managed it very touching scene i think so (laughs) that's fine to hit this baby see i i i thought i'd remembered (laughs) that that's fine i thought i there's matt stumbling (laughs) around i thought i remembered that ethan hawk was a as was a poor actor in his younger days and he, he was one of those guys that developed into it but he was good in this in this movie i thought so i don't know where that came from maybe he just was kind of shitty in singles or one of those movies um, Norman Lloyd, I don't know who that is. He later recalled that Robin Williams was in a sober mood during filming as he was going through a divorce at the time, and there was no joking around between takes. Kind of fit the theme of the movie. He did seem somewhat restrained in the movie, but I believe I would have to look this up. I think this was Robin Williams' first dramatic right. role. Yeah. Um, he was he he did well in dramatic roles, but I think this was his first one. Yeah, I think this one was before Fisher King. I think so as well. I think Fisher King was around 91, maybe. Um, So that's all my notes. The first thing I wrote down as far as my personal notes while writing this, and it kind of reminded me of 90210 a little bit, and sometimes we go away from this a little bit now that we still see it, but high school kids, the part of high school kids being played by actors that are like 28, 27. Like, it really looked obvious that yeah. some of these actors were pretty old. Well, especially when movie. they're, like, standing on the desks. and Yeah. Just some of them looked, looked like, that, that kid is not 17. <laughs> um, the big joke about that back in the 90210 days was, was Luke Perry and how, like, his, his, his hairline was already receding. Like, he was, like, 31 when he was playing that role. Um, again, we don't see it as much. And when they do do it, so when we saw... Um, Diary of a Teenage Girl, she was supposed to be playing a 15-year-old, and I think she was 23 in real life, but she looked pretty young, so I think mm-hmm. they've gotten better at the casting. Um, <clears throat> Jennifer Lawrence in The Hunger Games, I'm not really sure. I think they do a j- good job of making her look younger, but I don't know if she really 
seems like a, a high school kid. Yeah, but that would that role you you pretty much want or have to have somebody that's older. You can't have a young looking girl end up being like this heroic action. That would be tough. Yeah, I don't know who could do that, but yeah, that would be tough. Um, I wrote in my notes, this isn't really a thing to comment on, but you could tell this movie is a little bit older by base. So this movie, I forgot to say off the top, was this movie's from 1989 with a run time of two hours and eight minutes. There's two scenes, one near the beginning and there's another one when they're running out in their, in their robes towards the caves where there's this 80s synth music going on. Um, and the early one is really bad because it's not just like synth keyboards, it's like synth orchestra instruments <laughs> that really just dates a movie, you know, like like puts it in a certain place in time where it doesn't hold up. I mean, overall, I think this movie holds up really well. It's it's good acting and a good cast, and there's a lot of people in it, but there's a couple scenes with those, with those synth soundtrack that I think was kind of cheesy. Um, they brought this up twice in the movie. He, uh, I, the dad... Of one of the kids, and then one of the uh, leaders of the school, elders in the school, they're they're asking Robin Williams or or Keating about his his um, his teaching style, and Robin Williams is saying, "Well, I thought the object was for them to be free thinkers," and he says, "Free their minds at 17? <laughs> it's like really are are seventeen? I to me. Other than than some kids that do follow the, uh, you know, the clicks or whatever, I really felt that that in some ways kids in their teens, like when they're seventeen, are more free thinking than any other time in their life because that's when they're really trying to separate themselves from being a kid from their parents. They want to show they're an adult. At least when I was seventeen, I was really I thought a, a free thinker. Like I was challenging everything. Challenging my friends' opinions, my my everything I saw on TV, the government, my parents, school. Um, maybe it was different in the fifties when this when this film took place, but it it just struck me as twice as weird when they said free their minds at seventeen. I was like, that's that's when you know I think a lot of radical thought happens is when people are young, like when you see the Black Panthers and all this stuff that's happened through history. These not necessarily if they're seventeen, but these movements start with the younger generation. It's not like old old people that are like 30 or 40 saying like, I'm going to challenge the norm. Well, and I think it's also, <laughs> once you get older, you, you no matter what generation it is, it's once you get older, you, you start wanting to, um, you know, tell the younger generation that they need to, you know, get, get in line and... Mm-hmm. Um, you know, follow and mm-hmm. which which goes to my next point that goes along with the movie. <clears throat> he then might have to say something about this being apparent. It seems really a difficult line to make when you realize younger people need guidance, especially when they really just don't know any better, versus suffocating them with control. When sometimes, especially, like I said, when they are 16, 17, and sometimes they do know what's best for them. How it's, it's hard to juggle that. Like you want to show people the best way, but just because you're 20 years older, you probably are right. But you're, maybe you're not right all the time. What do you think, Ethan? <coughs> Guidance versus letting people uh, spread their own wings. Mm, 
it's a really delicate, fine line. <laughs> Thanks for reiterating what I just said. <laughs> no, it really, it really is because, uh, well, I mean, I'm still struggling with it. I have a 20 year old and sometimes you want to choke them and sometimes you just want to go, uh, then just fucking figure it out for yourself <laughs> since you think you know what you're doing. That's the same thing I think about my dick sometimes. <laughs> just want to choke it. Yeah, or just say, just figure it out, buddy. I'm going to bed. <laughs> you do whatever you want. Hope well, you're because you have somebody who is a young adult or going to be a young adult who is saying, I have these thoughts and this is what I want to do, but they don't have the means to really support themselves or they're not quite cognitively there to do it all. But what if they are and you just don't... Like, I remember as a kid, especially, really, I would say mostly I felt this the strongest when I was 17. And to quote, you know, Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, parents just don't understand. There were things I really wanted to do and I was like, you guys just don't get it. You guys don't get it. I'm not going to college. I'm moving to L.A. I'm going to live in a van. (laughs) <laughs> okay, but Down you were canal. not able to uh, take care of yourself financially at the time. Mm-hmm. That part was correct, which reminds me. Back and that's to, what I'm talking about. It's that, like, and that's what I'm I'm dealing with now is I have a 20 year old who wants to go and do things and live on his own and whatever. But then when shit hits the fan, he turns around and looks at me. Uh, I need help. Okay. Fine, once, twice, but how many times until you go, okay, um, I've helped you a couple times, but now you have to figure it out for yourself. Well, he's living on his own now, and he's got a good dose of reality. I was going to say earlier, when I when I said I was 17 and you couldn't take care of yourself, my favorite example of that was that, that old Raper show, um, the, the Cosby show. There was an episode where Theo wants to move out on his own, and um, Dr. Cliff Huxtable gives him like some Monopoly money. He's like, well, where are you going to live? And he... Well, he gives him, he's like, how much money do you think you're going to make? And he gives him, like, this money per month. He's like, well, how much are you going to live? Okay, I'm going to take that. How much you can spend on food? You know, when you spend on dating? And it's like, shit, I'm not left with anything. Yeah. Like, I actually owe money now. So, you're right. Probably that was the one thing I didn't have figured out when I was 17. That I wasn't, probably couldn't have lived on my own with my round table salary. Yeah. But <laughs> Right. And the kid's car engine blew up. He has no car now, and he needs help with rent. So Mm. what am I supposed to do? And then this is pushing it. Mm. I'm going to skip ahead a little bit, but it goes along with the same thing, and it goes along with the movie. When you control someone so much, it doesn't have to be exactly how it happened in the movie. I'm going to take the movie angle, but this could happen to any of us based on circumstances in life. But you can push someone so far that you just push them too far and that's what happened in the movie you know you control them so much you take away so much of what makes them happy that they see no other recourse i don't really have a comment on that but um well i mean so this is a quote from a tv show that i saw earlier this week um you know you can live happily in blood or you know in poverty well, you you can live happily 
in ignorance. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Or you can, you know, live a tortured life and, um, you know, be knowledgeable mm-hmm. um, and actually, you know, contribute something. And uh, I think that's kind of what this movie was kind of hinting at was it, you've got these teachers that really understand what it is to mold a young person's mind which is teaching them that it is okay to make mistakes as long as there is somebody there um, that can help guide them um, so that when they do make those mistakes they aren't falling flat on their face but also when they do make those mistakes that they are you know making the correct mistakes and also you know the parents like the dad read i'm trying to because i can't remember the other here he is uh kurtwood smith you know you you know him as red from that 70s show and you've seen him in movies since the 80s he always looks the same yeah robocop he was in he always looks exactly the Uh same except for slightly older um he wasn't trying to fuck over his son he was it was that thing of guidance versus suffocating by control he was just like i know it's better for you i know you don't want to go through 10 years of of medical school or whatever Uh, but you were going to be so happy at the end in some ways i wish i had a little bit more of that like because when you're young i I hear uh heathens kids say this and i remember this as a kid when you're 17 18 19 like two years seems like a long time i remember when i Mm -hmm. thought about going into the military when i was 18 and two two three i was like three years three years seems such a long time when i was 18. well i think the problem with the dad character in this movie was that he did not allow for any extracurricular activity on the sun it was all or nothing but he just made him. He thought he was taking too many, so he took him off the newspaper, and then of course he took him out of the play, which was his big thing. Right, and that's that's what I'm saying. There was nothing. There was nothing that the son could do outside of of the right. curriculum, and that was it. And, it was, yeah, and it was I think that was the tipping thing. point for the dad yeah. or for the son. I mean, for me as a parent. <clears throat> What I did was um, I pretty much ruled with a heavy uh, fist. You do what I say. Um, When you turn 18, you can do what you want to do. Until then, sorry. But they always got to do extracurricular activities. Well, I agree. Um, And it makes a well-rounded person. And he was very focused, again, in the 50s. Kind of the parent he was, there's a word for it in in Asia. Today are not the same as what they were. There's a word for it in Asia. They call them tiger moms, and it's the ones that make their kids take ballet and piano lessons and tennis lessons and voice lessons and have a math tutor. So they get extra curricular, but they're just supposed to be, they're just pushed. They're not allowed, even if it's extracurricular, it's not for fun. Everything. It's not for fun. You do your piano practice an hour a day, five days a week, because you need to play piano because you might be the next. Ling Ling, that's like the the Asian or the Chinese uh-huh. piano player, or whatever. Um, but uh, but yeah, the dad really he was just like they didn't they didn't he didn't come he came from kind of they didn't come from money and he was just like hey you know it wasn't that he didn't care about his kid he's like I'm just looking out for you, you don't know what's best for you I'm setting up a future for you so that you will be happy. Yeah, but most of those kids, at least the ones that I've I've known. Uh, end up breaking eventually oh yeah early on usually yeah 
Um, Oops, so it ends up Ouch. going worse than, you know. Yeah, and we did. started to talk about that a little bit before with, like, some of these athletes like Tiger Woods and the Venus Williams. So, so, so or, you know, some of them make it through okay, and then you have people like Michael Jackson that make it through totally fucked up. Yeah. You know, it's it's hard to be pushed, like, that you're working a full-time job when you're a six-year-old kid. Um, even my friends that necessarily weren't pushed that far, but maybe they grew up in a somewhat conservative and religious background, they were the first ones to be fucking everyone and doing drugs in high school, usually, because there was something to rebel against. I didn't really have that, so in some ways, um, not having structure hurt me, but... I, I wasn't one of those kids out causing that much trouble or doing anything. I didn't really do drugs or drink or, or do anything like that. I didn't abuse my curfew. I didn't have a curfew, so I didn't usually stay out too late. I was usually in by 10 o'clock because I, you know, I, I just didn't have that, that strictness. Now, that was probably, like I said, bad, and had I had a little bit more structure, I might have became something. <laughs> yeah, I think that's the key, and the, the whole, like I said, the point of the movie was to have somebody there that um, can understand where to where to let you fail and where to let you. So, what's the ultimate danger in pushing someone so far or too far, like in this movie? Well, that they break. They crank. They break. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah, and that was the thing that we we didn't totally clarify. I'm sure most people have seen this movie, but uh, this kid, he. It wasn't just the extracurricular had been taken from him, but he had finally found what he thought was his calling, which probably, as a 17-year-old kid, would have changed in a year or six months. Right. But at that time, he was it was like one of those things, like a religious calling. It's like, I didn't know what I ever wanted to do in my life. I was kind of content doing everything, and now I found what I want to do, which was acting. And it wasn't just that he wanted to do acting, but he was in his first play, and everyone were supposed to expect by the audience reaction and his castmates reaction that he was really good even you know his mom said he was good or whatever and the dad said nope right and i try to blame it on robin oh, yeah. williams yeah. and it had nothing to do with him it was it, that was his his rebellion that's what he was mm -hmm. that that's how he was able to rebel against his father yeah, the only thing Robin Williams said, he didn't, not that he really encouraged it, he said, have you told your father these feelings? Because the kid did come to Robin Williams and say, like, I found what I want to do, I really want to do this, and I've never known what I wanted to do before, and this this plugs the hole in my soul. And Robin Williams is like, well, have you told your dad that? And he's like, mm, no. I don't know. I had kind of a my dad didn't push me like that, but I, I had a relationship with my dad that I didn't really I didn't really talk to him about feelings. I wouldn't say like, "Dad, I want to be a ballerina." <sighs> like you, some sort of light in the loafers kind of kid. I don't understand that dancer. I don't. I'm pretty sure he said thought that at least with you. <laughs> I don't think a lot, of, a lot of boys have that kind of relationship with their fathers though. That, that's weird. I mean, I guess it's not weird. I just wonder how that comes to exist. Because unless the, unless the parents are always like that, in this relationship, I think it was, just because I even wrote it in my notes, how the kid addressed his dad as father. Father. And uh, the way he, he had to uh, show so much respect for him. I think that was the style of the, of the 50s, but it does seem like there's other um, dads that aren't, like dads that just really cuddle their kids and, and have a good relationship with them when they're young and then sometime around 
10, 11, 12, 13. They just forget how to do that anymore. I don't know. That's kind of how it was with me. Because my dad did things with me as a kid, and then he just started hating everything. <laughs> um, let's jump into School of Rock. And then we'll come back to Dead Poet Society a little bit. So School of Rock, 2003, one hour and 48 minutes. Another, this is a lengthy double feature between these two movies. So Mike White, he wrote this movie. Mike White is the kind of weird-looking guy that was Jack Black's... Uh, well, he was he was the guy that was in the apartment where Jack Black lived. <laughs> Do you know what I'm talking about? The one that was dating Sarah Silverman. You guys saw the movie? Yeah. So Mike White, he wrote this movie. He was he was the guy that was kind of the pussy in the film. Uh, the idea for this movie came when Mike White moved into an apartment next to Jack Black, and White would often find Jack Black running naked through the halls or blasting much of the music featured in the movie at full volume. <laughs> uh, what, did, what else did Mike White write? I can't remember right now. Oh, he wrote Nacho Libra, another Jack Black movie. Mm-hmm. Um, the rock. <clears throat> Excuse me. The rock band Led Zeppelin are notoriously hesitant to allow their music to be licensed for commercial purposes. We've talked about, or I've talked about this off the podcast before, how some some bands are very liberal with using their music for commercials, and some aren't. And Led Zeppelin, you don't hear a whole lot. Knowing this, Richard Linklater, who directed this film, filmed a plea by actor Jack Black in front of a thousand screaming fans imploring the band to let the production use the immigrant song in the movie, which isn't even used that long. It's got like a six-second clip when they're driving in the van. The plea worked, and the filmed request is included on the DVD as a feature, as a bonus feature. Why are you giving me the look, Ethan? You want to gag on the mic some more? Mike White, this is something I discovered about Mike White. Oh, he was writing something mean about me. Mike White disowned the film after Richard Linklater decided to play up gay stereotypes within it with, without his involvement. Uh, Mike White, being bisexual and has a gay father, he was not pleased with the final product. So it was mostly with the one young kid who's the fashion designer. Yeah. I didn't really have a problem with it so much, but... I definitely don't think maybe... Well, 2003 wasn't that long ago. I was just wondering, like, how you direct a kid. Like, can you say it more? I'm pretty sure the the, the kid was... Light and loafers. Light and the loafers a little bit, but again, how do you how do you direct that as a director to, like, a 13-year-old a kid? Like, can you gay can it you up a little bit? Can Um... There's a part where Jack Black's character Dewey holds up a uh, a photo of the old band with um, with Mike White playing Ned, and the other person in the photo is Richard Linklater, the director. When their their band was called um, uh, Death Maggot, I think. Yeah. Something like that. The script originally called for Jack Black and Joan Cusack's character to fall in love following their outing in the bar. And I'm glad they didn't go to that. It would have taken the script off course and made it three hours long. Um, and it showed they bonded in a certain way anyway, and I think that's all that was important. This is something I call out in a lot of the movies that we do uh, because I think it's interesting. Um, all the parents' cars are Volvos. I've talked about that before, how certain characters all drive a certain car. 
This is an observation or something that you read? Something I read. Uh. I'm not that observant. <laughs> <laughs> I would never be able to pick up on that. Um, when the band first starts learning Zach's song, uh, Jack Black hums a solo and asks Zach if it's cool that he rocks a solo there. The solo he hums is the exact solo he plays at the Battle of the Bands. Fun fact. <laughs> Originally in the script, Jack Black's character is supposed to have run the teacher over. The, you know, he's a substitute teacher, and he takes over her spot. In the original script, he was supposed to have run the teacher over before she came to school, which stopped her from teaching for three weeks. Uh, in the script, they changed it to her falling in the shower. What are you drawing over there, Heathen? Giving yourself more gold stars? Yes. You're writing. That's like what kids used to do in seventh grade, and that's how they came up with band logos and band names. That's how Aerosmith came out, by the way. Um, someone was just drawing it on their uh, notebook and thought, Aerosmith, what a cool name for a band, because Aerosmith doesn't mean anything. So what's the name of your band you got written there? It looks like you're writing glyphs on the side of a pyramid. <laughs> it's like cricket, arrow, eye, squirrely, <laughs> spear, pine tree. Leave me alone. <laughs> I'm creating a spell. Um. So first, I'm gonna skip down. Down. I'm gonna skip down too. In the movie School of Rock, Jack Black, he uh, decides he first takes the job just to make money, and just basically waste. In the beginning, he's like the kind of teacher Manila Mike was when he was in China. He just says, like, do whatever you want, have recess. I'm going to sit here and drink whiskey out of my coffee cup, which is what Manila Mike did. Um, and then later on, he starts to turn it to his own purposes when he finds out they can play music. And um, and then when he goes along that way, he gets he gets really upset, even though they're all pretty good musicians, that they don't know anything about the history of rock. And he's he's flabbergasted that they don't know who Led Zeppelin is or the Ramones or anything like that. Flabbergasted? He's flabbergasted. He's gobsmacked. <laughs> Have you... Is there anything that, Heathen, that really frustrates you or you're just dumbfounded when you find out someone doesn't have a certain tool of knowledge? You're like, how could you not know about the different kinds of penises. How could you not know what regulation D is? No, does that really make you upset? <laughs> or how could you not know that your check's been put on hold because it says it right there on your receipt? I don't know. There's a lot of things so that nothing. upset me. <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't think there's anything that upsets me that much. I, I was actually going to go along the exact same thing as Jack Black, and it's not exactly the same. I don't expect everyone to know who Led Zeppelin is or whatever. <laughs> what bothered me was, and it, it happens a little bit with music and a little bit with movies, and we had a kid in our movie group when I said, like, well, I haven't seen such and such movie. It's a classic movie. and kind of embarrassed about it. He was like, well, that's before my time. Kids like us don't see that. So... I grew up when I didn't have access to the internet and Spotify and Pandora and everything. I knew who the Beatles were. I knew who Pink Floyd was. I knew who the Rolling Stones were. That was all before my time, but I all, I knew who it was. Maybe it wasn't. I didn't know. Maybe I didn't know everything about them. Maybe I didn't know their history, but at least I had heard of the Rolling Stones. Well, we had MTV and VH1. That's true. Um but it seemed a generation after me got really lazy, and I remember 
So, because I'm thinking of like my friend's younger brothers that were maybe like five, six, seven years younger. So when I was like 24, maybe they were like 17, something like that. And they didn't know who Guns N' Roses was. And that really bugged the fuck out of me. Because that was the biggest rock band in the world for a while. And, okay, maybe it was before their time, but like I said, there was a lot of bands before my time. How could you not know who Guns N' Roses were? And that they thought that Green Day existed when that Fork in the Road song came out. They didn't even know when Green Day got popular, like in 94, 93, with like Dookie, let alone that Green Day had been making like three or four albums before that and had been around since like 86. That shit really bothered me. <laughs> so it's not that I expected everyone to know who Green Day or Guns N' Roses were. It was just the fact that these kids that had access to everything just didn't... They didn't have any reverence for their history. They only yeah. cared about the now, the right now, the what's on the radio now, the hit of the moment. Yeah, but I don't think I could ever get angry at a kid for not knowing something pop culture from I do. I when I was a kid. Em. I wanted to slap them. <laughs> Because it wasn't just me. I wasn't special. Like, all of my friends knew who these bands were. It wasn't like any of us were special or smart or cared or curious. It was just you You. You. You tried to find out what was relevant around you. Like, I didn't grow up in the Vietnam War, but I know basically that the Vietnam War happened and, and sort of what was behind. I mean, actually, I know a lot about the Vietnam War because that was my my major, but I'm talking about when I was a kid. I know a little bit about the Vietnam War, and I hear, like, kids... So these kids that didn't know anything about Guns N' Roses, these are the same kids when, like, the um, Desert Storm was happening. And, like, nine, there's kids now, that, like, when 9-11 happened, and they're Desert like... Desert Storm was happening when we were kids. Yeah, it was, like, 89, 88. So it was, like, before they were born, okay? And then maybe they were 6, 7, 8 when, when 9-11 happened. And just the ignorance that they seem to have around these pretty major events... And again, with information so accessible, there's no excuse. Well, for and it. Ad- adults have that same kind of. So it's kind of like Kevin with uh, music lyrics, especially when I'm singing them. He looks at me like, "That's not what they say." Oh yes, yes. It I is. wouldn't really say that's the same. I don't know. You seemed <laughs> pretty least, cocky about that one. At least that's I, not really what. Yeah. At least I know there's lyrics. <laughs> I mean, again, I'm not expecting anyone to be. I just want them to know that those things happen. Well, I get more irritated when, you know, you've got kids that are getting frustrated at technology and that they get their iPhones taken away from them or their iPads. And it's like, bitch. <laughs> yeah. Look it up to, in the dictionary. Yeah, we had to get up to change channels on the TV. <laughs> or I was the yeah. remote control mm-hmm. when we were kids. Didn't have 195 channels. <laughs> we had three channels and one was Telemundo. Actually, we didn't even you read a map. How did you find heathen, your way home? Heathen is so old school that um, because you have maps on your phone, you can print them out on the computer. You you have every <laughs> access. You have Google Maps. You can see where where North Korea is building missiles. I like my. But things. he then goes to Barnes and Nobles and buys it a, an atlas. Yes, I that's going to be outdated in three months. <laughs> But there's nothing wrong with the way I do things. She's like, I like to draw on it. I was like, you can print it no, on the computer. No, I and draw like on it. to open it and see the whole picture. Sorry, take a brief pause. <laughs> Heathen was so excited about her Atlas. Atlas. That sounds like a car. The see Atlas Supreme. Right. The Heathen. Are you quoting? Are you quoting more songs now? Knocked over everything. The Heathen ripped the cord out of her microphones like Atlas or nothing. 
You know, Atlas shrugged one anyway, time. Anyway, you get to see the entire picture of where you're going. If you're trying to map something about, uh, I'm planning a trip across the entire state, and I want to go here, and I want to go there, and I want to go there. Well, it's nice. It's easier to see the entire state. Is I like to go in and do the pinch and zoom instead of flip to page A17 to find out what the <laughs> magnified... You're just jealous because you don't know how to read a map. Who doesn't know how to read a map? It's you. easy. I had an atlas in my car before for California. And really? This was back in the Is day. that why you sent me a picture? I don't know which one to choose. Because I don't know what atlas you wanted. You're very whatever. picky. What do you mean, whatever? You're really picky about everything. Everything. <laughs> Probably the pickiest person I've ever to met. To me. I suppose so. It's not good to be anyone that knows you. <laughs> Um, let's talk about, first let's talk about unorthodox teaching. Both of these teachers used unorthodox teaching for their time period or their styles or their peers, especially Robin Williams, because this just wasn't something you did in a stuffy private school. Did you have an unorthodox teacher that, that, that taught a little bit outside the box that worked for you, or have you ever taught someone something in a, in a different way? Like, you know, you put on a condom by using a banana. Or, this is how you sing. Just relax your throat muscles and put an otter pop in your throat. Um. Except for it wasn't an otter pop. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> Just close your eyes. Um... I'll let you guys jump in if you had anything. That, that, that really tickled you. <laughs> if you guys had an experience like that, then... Well, that's something that I was thinking about when I was watching uh, Dead Poet Society was I honestly can't remember a teacher that had, like, an unorthodox way of teaching that, you know, well... They were all pretty much the same cookie-cutter teaching. Yeah, and I had maybe one teacher that I thought of as, like, you know, an amazing teacher. So I never really had any teachers that I would have said, you know, this is a teacher that changed my life or, you know, woke me up to, you know, a new world. Mm -hmm. um, and I wonder how many kids, especially nowadays, actually can say that or, you know, people that have just graduated from high school or college or whatever can say that. Well, I think in some ways, as far as that goes, is I think there's a lot of teach like young teachers that that come right into teaching that want to be like that, and then they get yeah. pushed back by the students so much that they just break down. They, I think, uh, I've heard the first year of teaching is really hard because they want to do everything, they want to inspire these students, and then it's just so depressing. My uh, elementary school teacher. Uh, Mr. Hosben was very impressionable. He was impressionable? Did you impression him easily? Well, I mean, he, on me. Okay. Um, and <laughs> he was up through um, junior high unintentional, um, which was good for me. Um, high school was my government teacher, Mr. Preston. He was from Texas, and so he had some really what interesting government views I, I had a uh yeah i had a government teacher from from texas in high school and yeah she had those like don't mess with texas things in her <laughs> in her classroom and like texas should be its own country like things well it was for a little bit of time yeah. and um college 
was my math teacher was amazing. She's the only one that could ever actually teach me math. Mm-mm. And um, Mr. McGinty, my English teacher, was Mr. McGinty. I'm here to make you phenomenal. Some spaghetti. I will never forget him. No. So what, Irish. What made these teachers <clears throat> so unforgettable or um, unorthodox? Mm-hmm. Well, my I my uh, math teacher. It didn't really matter like what brain you had. She homeschooled. I think she had like twelve kids, and she homeschooled all of them. Okay, so she was weird. Um. Well, this was in Elko when I took. Those. So she was weird. <laughs> anyway. Anyway, go on. So my math teacher, my English teacher were pretty cool. Next, they're, they're pretty cool. See, Heathen's doing the thing now. You interrupt me, son. I'm gonna be You're an asshole. Um, I didn't really have any super unorthodox teachers. Uh, the closest I could think of, I had a teacher in college that we would often have classes outside or we would just get in a circle, and that's not really that unorthodox. It's pretty hippie-ish, but it's amazing how often you're in a classroom and you don't go and outside on a nice day and sit and actually talk instead of just be lectured to. Um, I find being in a certain environment can free up your brain. It can... It can um, Break you outside of the norm. If you're used to just sitting in a in a desk and be talked to, that uh, even if you have a teacher that wants you to break outside of that, it's hard for you to break those habits unless they unless they change the environment. Um, the other teacher I had that was slightly unorthodox, but not really, and he was one of my favorite teachers, is he would say provocative things in class. He would say things to piss the class off, basically, whether it was about gender, age. He'd really pick on uh, younger kids, or you know, younger ones in the class. This was a college teacher, so he would he mm-hmm. wouldn't pick on kids that were like or people that were in their thirties or forties. He would he would go towards the eighteen year olds, also women quite a bit. He was he his main thing. He was a psychology teacher, so he would say things like, "It is a fact that the male brain is larger than the female brain," and he would say things like that. He was playing a role in the similar way that Colbert played a role on the Colbert Report, in that he was painting himself as an enemy, um, even though he always had his facts. He just wanted to poke and prod the students so that they broke out of just listening and would come on the attack. So, one, they were engaging. But two, he was trying to teach them to think for themselves. So the girls would be like, well, that's not true. Female and men are are equal. He said, I will bring you my reference manuals. I will bring you my anatomy books and my references. I can bring you seven references showing the male brain is larger than the female brain. If you want to challenge me, bring your reference next next class. Right, but what the fuck does that mean? Doesn't necessarily mean that men are smarter. No, no, it doesn't. And that's how they were taking it. He wasn't saying it that way. That's how they were taking it. And he was, he was trying to teach them how to think on their own and how to reference things and how to actually have debates. Because as we've talked about on the podcast before, so many people use opinions as their fuel for their debate, or or, effect, or something they heard from someone. Like someone told me this, so now it's true. But he'd say, "Well, no, that you can't just use." You know, back back before there's Wikipedia, you can't just be like, well, so everyone sure. knows that, so that sure Asians are bad drivers, or you, you can't learn, you know. I watch Fox News, and yeah. that's what they told me. Well, yeah. my English teacher, we were not allowed to use Wikipedia as a site. 
Yeah, or no, a no. Source. Teachers let you, you let you use Wikipedia as a as a as a source. I mean, I use Wikipedia now to briefly look at something I don't know about if I if I hear about a concept or like a brief history. But yeah, there were other English teachers that would let you, and I always thought well, that they were was horrible. crazy. Yeah. Oh, Wikipedia. The, the funny thing is Wikipedia's actually gotten worse. Back then, Wikipedia was actually uh, a lot more accurate than the actual encyclopedias because encyclopedias weren't even or, updated yeah. that often. That's true. Yeah, Wiki, or the uh, you know the big encyclopedia, like Britannica, they've gone out of business because of the internet. Yeah. Um, so let's see. Comparing... Mm, let's go to... This is more about Dead Poet Society. So Dead Poet Society was a fraternal organization within the school i wouldn't really call it fraternal because they did have lady members of the dead poet society even though the school didn't have female students um you guys any clubs or groups in high school or college doesn't have to be anything as cool as the dead poet society but were you any formal informal group like the hellcats heathen were you part of the hellcats um, I was part of choir. <laughs> All right. Well, that's just a class. Was that a class or a or like a, a really a group, like an elective? Well, I think it's probably what I did. Like I was in choir as well, but I never hung out with anybody outside of choir. But I had like a soccer group, so all the people that I hung out with. I know Matt was also in the in the uh, Titanic or historical Titanic reenactment <laughs> society or something because he mentioned that on the podcast before. <laughs> uh. No, um, but when I moved, because I was in choir all through school and drama, but when I moved up to Incline, they didn't really have too much of that. So what we did was we did the uh, choir and drama outside of school, which was like at the Calneva where we did shows on the weekend, Mm -hmm. which was um, actually making money. So I don't know if that's something sure. that would be like a, you know, where we did Renaissance fairs and things like that. But I was in, I was actually partly, I didn't have really a choice to join it. I was in the drama club as well. And the only, the way you got in the drama club in high school is if you were in a play, then you were automatically in the drama club, which is cool. You got to take your own no, we individual. No, try out for Okay, I understand. Yeah. So we, we, we got our own, um, uh, field trips for that in college i was part of the audio engineering society uh, <laughs> part of that was just to be on my transcripts because you know that was at like a junior college to go to a advanced college and that's when you're like putting those 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 clubs and and, and little things and organizations on your transcripts to get well i would teach people literacy is that weird is that i a, guess that's weird is that you a group teach them how to be literate literacy i would teach them. <laughs> yeah is that a group <laughs> The literacy group? Yeah, there was a whole group of us that went and did like these weekend things. Hmm, okay. It's kind of a nerd did thing. You, I did guess. you have a name? No. We just did it. We're the Alphabetties. No. <laughs> no, we didn't have like. The Alphabetties and Alpha Barneys? Yeah. I'm trying to think of. Did you have a Letterman jacket? Oh, that would be funny if we did. That would be funny. <laughs> Ethan's getting tired. No, I never uh, was any. It's fine to hit that, baby. Mm. I was I never all my beers, part so. of any group like that. Have a sip of your beer. Um, I was part of Gate before high school, gifted and talented education. But and I was never 
I think scouting was probably the biggest organization. Yeah, or that's actually that that's, that's a big one. And you actually had a name for your group. Oh, Girl Scouts. Were you a Girl Scout? I was. Hmm. Um. Let's talk about real quick, and then we'll go into our ranks. Actually, then we can talk about anything else. We want to talk about the movie. How would you compare? This is like an essay question. How would you compare and or contrast? The teachers, the main teachers, we're talking about Jack Black and Robin Williams. How would you compare and contrast their uh, motivation for doing what they did and how they inspired their students? Heathen, you're up first. Well, I think they were both very passionate teachers. (laughs) (laughs) I I would... I, would, I don't know about Jack Black. Well, he he didn't start out that way. That was his character arc. He became uh, passionate maybe towards the end. Because he even said, although, you know, you had to kind of buy. Maybe I'm the, thinking more towards the end. Of you kind of would have to buy that he changed it because uh, his roommate uh, gets the check in the mail and says, why did I get this $1,200 <laughs> check? And Jack Black says, Oh, you know, I did. He's like, but wait, wait, you got to keep letting me teach. There's this one dude and he doesn't think he's cool and he did this. And then there's this girl and she's she's fat and she can really sing. And then there's this other girl and she's wants to be David Geffen. Like he he, at that point, you're supposed to believe. And I guess I believe that he actually cares about the students. Okay, Um, well, I guess I did. But yeah, I would say the biggest difference is Jack Black learned from the students and became a better teacher from the students. Um, Cause I think Robin Williams even says his motivation in the movie. There's some part where they ask him like, well, uh, why did you come back here? And I can't remember what he said. Well, he says at one point, cause they're like, why would you come? And he's like, I love teaching. Yeah, yeah. I just love teaching. Yeah. And, and then he's Robin Williams has a conversation with one of the other teachers at one point when they're like, you can't, you know, kind of going with the unorthodox thing. And he's, and that's where he says, well, I thought the point was to teach them how to think on their own. Um, like, I don't know. Cause he, he came back to teach at the school that he was a student at, which was, you know, kind of a hard score school, which, you know, he probably got the type of education that they wanted him to be teaching but Mm -hmm. you know he learned from the outside world and through you know dead poet society that you know you you want to be able to think on your own and not just take what everybody is telling you is you know fact you want to discover things on your own and he does acknowledge that the school shaped him and formed him because he says i entered the school not as the intellectual giant you see before you, but the equivalent of a 97-pound weakling. Something like that. All right, heathen. Yes? I was going to go on to one more topic, but we'll just do the ranks, which means you're up. Me? The five. So I'm going to have heathen rank five classes. It's up to her if she wants to judge this based on elementary school, college, high school, or whatever. I kept it kind of generic basically classes that I think anyone had to take in high school. Um, The ranks are algebra, biology, English, history, and PE. Go ahead, Heathen, and rank those classes. How are you ranking these? What what year are we looking at? Or are you ranking these based on classes you liked, 
classes classes you i liked classes you liked okay mm-hmm. so we're looking at high school yeah okay well, just in general well in general you, yeah okay. i hated pe so that's number five yes mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um oh sex ed <laughs> Yeah, I was going to say biology. Biology number four. <laughs> mm. um, algebra. Algebra number three. Uh, history number two. Mm-hmm. English number uno. English is your favorite class? Mm-hmm. All righty. Let's head into last call. Last call. Looking at the world through the bottom of a glass. All I see keeping is us, keeping us on the uh, last 90, call. ninety minute um, itinerary. I guess is what you call that. You don't like that English is number one for me. No, I just really need like an engineer that can manage. Like the the soundboard and the and the things and the pictures and the, like all the things I want to do at one time and I really can't do and talk because I really can't multitask. I'm just a boy. I'm just a boy a and of, I hate it. A lot of beer in you. Got any? So what would be what would have been your your number one? Number one out of those five or just out of any class? Out of, out of, well, out of those five. Uh, well, in high school, PE, and college history, probably. I didn't like PE because anytime you had, like, your period. Anything you had, like, and this. And you had, you had swimming teacher. class. We didn't have swimming class. No, what kind of backward school did you They'd go to? They'd be like, um, the best way to get rid of cramps is to run it off. It's like, <laughs> no, I'm sorry, you're a Nazi. That's so not true. Had, Let me go sit down. I had like women PE teachers, they and were for horrible. some reason, well, they like loved me. Like I was like their favorite student, and I don't know why. They were so mean because I was not like an athlete, like a major athlete or anything. And what teacher would tell you to to run off? None of my. I I went to a backward Her name school. With, was Artist Brandt. I went to a backwards school with backwards <laughs> caveman PE I will never teachers. forget her. I had PE teachers that they were hairier on their back than anyone ever existed anywhere else on their body. These were uh, caveman PE like teachers. No, I didn't even bat an eye when you asked me what her name was. Like, I didn't ask what her name te- was. So You said who would tell you that, and oh. I said her name. Who would tell you that? I want her name and credentials. <laughs> Pretty sure she still lives here. Don't make no sense. I think I'll look it up. Let me see. <laughs> Do you have a favorite class, Matt? Let's call Shakisha and let me call Shakisha and ask. Hey, why do you have to use last call to finally talk and waste everyone's time? Every fucking time. Or at least one out of five times. Or no, four out of five times. Matt, favorite class? Uh, out of those would be biology. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's when you learn where zygotes come from. Yeah. And sucrose and cell membranes. All right, heathen. Gross. Was that the last of your life? Any guess on the secret word? Um, poet? I don't know. No. I fished for it earlier. Beer maker Matt, any guess on the secret word? Cafeteria. 
All right, everybody, keep it wet. We'll see you next week. <laughs> All my neighbors are fast asleep, and I can't find anything to drink. Mackenzie's drank all the great alcohol, so I'm headed down the street to first call. picture gonna bust your chops <laughs> here we are with heathen on diet talk you got out of control again